on the moon. We carry a harpoon. But there ain't no whale, so we tell tall tales and sing a whaling tune. I'm Ben. I'm Mike. And welcome to the world of tomorrow. This is Back to the Futurama, your podcast voyage through one of the greatest TV shows Fox ever canceled. This is our second episode. We are talking this this time. We have gotten past Space Pilot 3000 and we are going to talk about the series Has Landed. Season 1, Episode 2. Yeah, it's very exciting. So, first of all... Uh, before we actually get started talking too much about the episode, I just wanted to apologize a little bit, first of all, for how rough I was on the first couple of seasons. Okay. Because I feel after watching this episode, I was actually wrong about my own opinion. And also, thanks to everybody who decided to give episode two a shot. I realize episode one was a little rough, uh, which is maybe a little bit Alanis Morissette style ironic. In that I spent a lot of last episode <laughs> complaining about bad production value. <laughs> well, I will say this. If you're listening to a podcast, you're probably okay with it. It's true. <laughs> so with that out of the way, let's talk about the series has landed. Yeah. Uh, we we do meet a lot of characters right off the bat. Um, my favorite is during the kind of initial kind of cold open, if you will, when they have the commercial that, that they're playing during the Super Bowl uh, on a different channel, but still during the Super Bowl, so somewhat impressive. We don't know what channel it is. There's a, probably a ton of them. I don't remember how many there are, but there are satellites everywhere. Um, and we, we finally have our first reference to the horrible gelatinous blob, HG blob, if you will. My favorite thing about horrible gelatinous blob is that regardless of whether he's mad at you or he, he loves what you did, He's going to ingest you. That's how he shows emotion. My biggest question about Horrible Gelatinous Blob is that on the box, uh, it's addressed to H.G. Blob. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that H.G. Wells was Horrible Gelatinous Wells? I think it's probably best we don't go- cover that subject. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, I, I do. Good, though. I, I do like Horrible Gelatinous Blob. He obviously makes a couple of uh, cameos in later <laughs> episodes. And they're always pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I, th- I think he's a very kind of a good bit player to come come over, come into a situation and, you know, be a horrible gelatinous blob around it. And, you know. So, yeah, we have the cold open. We see HG Blob. Mm-hmm. It's good times. And th- the commercial's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think before we go into because uh, we meet a lot of new characters, yeah, we do. Uh, kind of off the bat in this episode. Before we get into the rest of them, I will say that my favorite bit, one of my favorite bits, is when Fry is sitting there at the breakfast table, and he's complaining about caffeinated, caffeinated bacon, bacon, and baconated grapefruit. <laughs> and I always used to use the phrase baconated grapefruit and nobody knew what the hell i was talking about (laughs) 
but I really like the idea of baconated grapefruit in that that sounds like the worst thing mankind would ever invent. Oh, absolutely agreed. Yeah. I, I, first off, I'm surprised we haven't tried to do it with how much we love shoving bacon into everything. And also that I'm glad we have not because it sounds like it's going to be awful. So there are a lot of parts in a lot of episodes of Futurama where I feel like they kind of foresaw the future. And I feel like this is one of those moments because, sure, we don't have caffeinated bacon and we don't have baconated grapefruit. But we as a society are obsessed with both bacon and caffeine. That's true. So this just seems like the natural progression of things. I'm surprised in 2016 we don't have either of those things. I I, I agree with you on that one, knowing how much society basically can't function without caffeine and or bacon or bacon. So, some some don't like bacon as much as others, but that's okay. You know that's going to be our first hate mail. Oh man, I'm going to get so that episode where Mike hated bacon. It was just the worst. So disappointing. By the way, if you're going to send some hate mail about that, that's fine. It's better than the con- uh, actual content of the show. Anyways, we spent way longer talking about Fry's breakfast than I ever <laughs> intended. I think we spent longer talking about Fry's breakfast than Fry took to speak about the, the breakfast itself. Anyways, after breakfast that we just spent way too long talking about, uh, we do we do actually get to meet um, the rest of the crew. Mm-hmm. That's which true. is great because, of course, uh, we get to meet everybody's favorite, Mike's favorite, Zoidberg. Zoidberg. Doctor, we finally have Zoidberg. Dr. John Zoidberg. Dr. John Zoidberg. The best doctor at Planet Express. Is that even true? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess. <laughs> we are qualifying that a bunch. I mean, the first time we meet Zoidberg, he calls Fry a young lady. So obviously, right off the bat, not doing very well. My, I think my favorite part of that interaction is the idea that Fry might have two different mouths. Uh, that yeah, that's a that's a good uh, that's a good, that's a very good gag. My favorite is what happens immediately afterwards, where he says, "Whatever uh, Zoidberg," he tries to mimic Zoidberg's sounds that he makes and he accidentally calls uh, insults Zoidberg's mother which is terrific also to go on a, a little bit of a tangent here one of my favorite things about that scene is actually the conceptual idea that both of those characters are, are voiced by Billy West mm-hmm. and just thinking about Billy West sitting in a room having this conversation with himself tickles me to just no end <laughs> It, it I've actually seen uh, like uh, YouTube videos of him doing some of those characters like right next to each other in a scene like Professor and Fry and Zoidberg. And it's like the way he can switch voices on the dime is just incredible. Also hilarious. Oh, I, I bet. He's a pretty funny dude. Yeah, he is. Uh, we also get to meet Amy, mm-hmm. who the professor admits he keeps her around uh, because they have the same blood type. That's true. It is very important to bring back the blood if there are any shenanigans. If anything happens, bring back the blood. And yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it. We, I mean, we, well, we well, we, we her- mentioned Hermes, Hermes, yeah, but we didn't really talk about mm-hmm. him. Um, this is where he gets Leela to sign the waiver. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there's really a whole lot to talk about no, Hermes just not yet. Really. 
Yeah, no, it's it's fair. I just we don't really get a whole lot of him yet. Although he does have, you know, the he drives the plot forward at least saying, "We got this package through the slot in this package that I don't know how big the slot is, but I would not assume it would fit in any It is a giant package. In the great story of my life, I hope that my role is not listed as picked up a package. <laughs> Because well, Mike just described that as moving the plot forward. I mean, if you look at the mechanics of the episode, it does. Okay, I'm not disputing that. <laughs> okay, all right. And then Jon Snow picked up the package that was left in the slot. Yeah, I mean, the rest of the episode is uh, really spent Yeah. up on the moon on at Luna Park. Luna Park. Um. Which I will say, I I really love the idea of they have literally just turned the moon into a big theme park. A section of the moon. Sure. I mean, I'm going to be technically correct. The best kind of correct. Sure. <laughs> I don't have a good follow-up with that because you are technically correct, which is, in fact, the best kind of correct. Thank you very much. So my favorite, well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite, but something I noted... Um, about the about Luna Park is that their their mascot is a reference to uh, a a f- somewhat famous silent French film, A Trip to the Moon, that came out in 1902. This point isn't legit unless you say it in French. I don't know how to do that. Okay, we oui, we. Oui. <laughs> no, that's I, that's I, fair. I, but but yeah. I I think that 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 even a lot of people may not get that reference and just see, Oh, look, the mascot has a, as a moon and then Bender shoves the beer and it's funny, but it shows the, the writers have a breadth of knowledge of classic film and they keep kind of going back to that over time. I think is important. Yeah, I, I do think that is very important. Also, when I watched uh, a voyage to the moon in a film class in college, I was like, that is a great Futurama reference. Good good job. <laughs> they got in a time travel machine and they did it. They did it. No, but that that is exactly where a lot of people watch that film in a, in a college film class because it's so, at this point, it's, you know, a hundred or some years later. It's very formative to a lot of, you know, when we're when you go into school and you go into just, you know, a regular film class or if you're going to school for film, it kind of is the building block of getting you to a point where you can go through and understand how film has evolved over time. At least that's the way I learned it in the film class I was in at, at my college. That's why I reference this because we both have a shared experience with that, but you can kind of build onto it and get to um, current day cinema. And I think it's important that even even though Futurama is making a joke of it, making a joke of a, a whole lot of other things, it knows in what society it is the pop culture of. Right. Well, and I, I think, again, we're going back to that idea that the writers are just very smart people. That, that also have a breadth of knowledge over a lot of different topics. Mathematics, pop culture, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that I like is that once we get up onto Luna Park, we really start seeing a lot of Bender's kleptomania start cropping up. I mean, I know in the first episode, he has that moment where he like steals Leela's ring that we talked about. Mm-hmm. That's only there for 
a few seconds. But, like, dang, man. We go to the moon, and all of a sudden, he is stealing everything that's not bolted down. He steals a doll from a tourist's pocket. He's, you know... He uses his arm to get into the crane machine to help. Well, I was going to say that, but, I mean, technically, they're trying to get their own keys back out of that. I don't. Re- I wouldn't count that as stealing. We, we, you're giving Bender the benefit of the doubt that he's not going to steal something while he's doing that. I'm just saying. No, that's true. Knowing I, what we know now of Bender. Bender, Bender, Bender. Bender, Bender, Bender. I don't know what I just witnessed. Mike did a hand motion, and I think I need an adult. It wasn't that bad. So I could do worse. We We do start seeing a lot more of who Bender is as a character, which I really like. And that's going back to kind of my, my point at the beginning of the episode where I said this episode really, it, it, you know, really good and like enough to make me apologize for things I said last week. Bender has a lot of great moments in this episode. The, I mean, so he starts, he starts stealing all the time. He's um, one of my favorite lines that I honestly forget about a lot until I rewatch this episode is when Fry is talking about how he doesn't want to be in the theme park and Bender says, you're like somebody who goes to Jerusalem and doesn't visit the sexateria. (laughs) That's a good one. Which I like for just so many reasons. First of all, I kind of want to know what the sexateria is, but I'm too afraid to Google it. We could do that right now on air. Oh, God. We're we're doing this. Um, So while while Ben... I'll fill some time while Ben Googles. My favorite thing about the the Jerusalem line is when everybody walks away and to end the scene, he screams, Next year in Jerusalem! Just kind of like making plans already to go somewhere for for what's already been referenced as what we don't want to necessarily Google, except for the fact that we are. So mostly it's Futurama references, (laughs) but there is apparently a nightclub in Houston just called Sexateria. There is also Swanky Sexateria in Chicago. Swanky? Sexateria. No, I'm not going to continue on that list. I mean, mostly it's Futurama references, That's... but there are apparently a few legitimate... I'm not going to call them legitimate. There are <laughs> apparently a few actual places called the Sexateria in the United States, not even in Jerusalem. Did you did you include Jerusalem as a search term? I think that's just going to be more okay, Futurama yeah. references. I think right. But what I think we've determined from this ad hoc segment, if you will is that we need to go do a field piece at the Sexteria. Okay. <laughs> Great. Now that now that that's settled. Okay. So we're talking about Bender and kind of how he uh, grows as a character throughout this episode. Um, we see a lot of things that we'll come back to later and later. Um, my favorite is the inhibition unit. Um, yes. So when Bender has a magnet placed on his forehead, it kind of he it's turned off. He starts becoming a folk singer, and everybody's like, "Why are you becoming a folk singer and acting like he's crazy to do that?" 
but this come you know this is another thing that's one of those things that'll come back later and be like from the very beginning they had an idea of this is something funny we could do maybe if we have six seasons and a movie go human beings it is a good payoff though um i agree that that episode with beck where i'm spacing on the title um i don't remember the title either but beck had a rhyming dictionary bending in the wind is that it oh i think that is it that's one of my favorite episodes of all time so obviously i'm really into that payoff so just wait until we can get to that episode and boy howdy it'll be great um also uh, skipping ahead a little bit but just because it's another great bender line obviously we have the uh I'll build my own theme park with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the theme park. And it's revisited later on in the episode with the uh, the Lunar Lander, I believe. Yes. So I did I did want to play a little game with you here. I'm, I'm springing this on you in real time. I like we did this. not discuss this ahead of time. This was not in our notes. Mike, let's pretend for a moment okay. that you start a Lunar Lander with blackjack and hookers. What do you name the Lunar Lander? Go. Oh, oh! this is a good game. Also, I don't know if I'm going to have something really quick for you. I'm going to have to think on that. Wow. It's okay. You can you can think about it. We can revisit it toward the end of the episode when they're actually out there. I will. I, it'll be like taking half of my brain space. So I don't know if we want to <laughs> keep going or not. Okay. Well, think on it. I think I've broken his brain. <laughs> he is just staring. Well, I have to. It has to be funny. And it, and it can't just be like moon jugs. That's too on the nose. <laughs> Dead air. Dead Actually, that's not bad. Dead air. <laughs> it's terrible. It's awful. Um, I would never want to go to a place yeah, with hookers true. called Dead Air. <laughs> Um, lunar experiences, but there's three X's in experiences. Okay, I'll take it. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit up all night and get keep coming up with the ideas, and I'm gonna be so mad about not being able to come up in the moment. I'm go, I'm gonna have I'm gonna spring something on you next week. All right, I'm looking right forward now. to it. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna do it. Okay, so like I said, we did skip ahead a little bit, but I mean... <laughs> for the game, I mean, for, we're going to have some kind of like musical cue for that, right? They're in the arcade for a bit. Yeah, and th- and they're, uh, in the arcade, there are a couple of games, and there's only there's only a few, but I, I, I noted down the game titles just because I thought they were really, really fun. Um, Dodecapede, which is a solid spoof on uh, Centipede. Gender Neutral Pack Person. And surprisingly, it it that that holds up. I think that's surprisingly relevant in 2016. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, again, it's Futurama kind of being foretelling the, the future. Yeah. Um, and mortal cooperation, which is the exact opposite of 2016. Accurate. So nobody bats a thousand. Oh, I do actually also have. Yet another one of my favorite Bender quotes. Uh, when a lot of them come from this episode, then he's like I said, he's such a good character in this episode. So when Amy's trying to get the keys with the claw machine, and sure. he's like, "It's just like making love: left, down, rotate sixty-two degrees, engage rotor." 
And then I just like that Amy's response is, I know how to make love. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Amy's response makes that sentence. Absolutely. Okay, now I think I'm finally done talking about how much I love Bender in this episode. Are you sure? Maybe. Okay. Uh, but I, we can talk about uh, possibly the best song ever in any media ever that has ever been made ever. What would that be, Mike? We're whalers on the moon. We carry a harpoon. But there ain't no whales, so we tell tall tales and sing our whaling tune. Mike looks way, way too happy about what just transpired it's here. It's the best. How do you how do you not how how does anybody not? It's the best. It's a pretty good joke. I mean we get we get that a couple of times in the episode too. And jumping forward it's also the source of my one of my f- most favorite of gags in possibly the entire run of the show when they're roaming around on the lunar la- lunar uh, surface in the lander or in the um, rover the rover right and Fry screams crank up the radio and the song starts playing and they instantly turn it off and it's just the comedic timing of that is just terrific to me. I'll second that. It's it's a great bit because they they do it the second time when they're actually on the the ride. Yeah, that's true. And it's good then. And then the fact that it's on the radio, it's perfect. So yeah, that, it's a good bit. I don't I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's my favorite bit. Oh, it's my favorite. Well, I I just love the the song to begin with, and the fact that it just comes up so often in this one episode and never shows up ever again. It's terrific. I wish it would show up a lot more. In fact, I should make it my ringtone. We can arrange that. I know we can. Wait, can we make it our theme song? We already have a theme song. That's right. Could it be our ending song? I'll tell you what. I'll put it as our intro for this episode. You will not. I will. I'll I'll make it the pre, pre-intro song intro. I think by now we're out of the park. Yeah. Just kind of driving around. I don't think there's really anything else I want to talk about actually in the park uh there is the one thing in the in the beginning of the ride where they're going through and they're going through the history of of space travel and it's a scene from the honeymooners where it's bang pow straight to the moon but it's it's misinterpreting it and fry catches it which is fascinating to me because his his intelligence kind of is very elastic throughout the whole episode to me where, or actually compared to the rest of his characterization so far has been, he's kind of a dullard. He doesn't have a ton of intelligence. He's kind of like, he he is the quintessential delivery boy. He was a delivery boy in the 2000. He was a delivery boy in 3000, but he knows all this information about how the, how the, the moon landings happened and things like that. And I find that a little fascinating. I think his biggest marker of intelligence in that is that he knows what the word metaphor is because he says it's, he's using it as a metaphor for beating his wife. That's true. And he knows the word metaphor, which is a lot of, I know English majors who don't understand what a metaphor (laughs) is. I also think that one scene, not to basically just zero in this one scene, but I think it's very, it has a very funny insight. And this is again towards the writers being a very like forward thinking, intelligent group of writers kind of pointing out that we, you know, in 3000, 
they'll probably misinterpret the media that we make today into kind of retrofitting it and how they believe it should go. Like we have done to media that came before us and kind of reading into it incorrectly. I'm terrified of what 3000 is going to think of 2016. Like the media. Mm-hmm. This might be outside the scope of the podcast, to be honest. <laughs> Actually, no, I did. I did open that door. Yeah, that- I think I think their opinions on the media. But what I was really trying to say is that, you know, you can grab on to Bazinga and it's one thing. But in, you know, 3000 years, what's it's it going to be a like? sex act? Yeah, it's a sex act. So now they watch this show and it's it's just a dude screaming a sex act over and over and over and over and over again. The Bazinga is something you pay extra for at the Sexateria. Now I want to go to the Sexateria more. <laughs> um, I just, I just, I just thought it was a, an, a fascinating point to make in in a comedic show. Seeing like we're we're going to start talking more and more about comparisons between two thousand and three thousand or today and three thousand and the the kind of idealized three thousand that the show. Well, I, I guess idealizing isn't the right word because it's kind of. It's not dystopian in any way, but they they kind of definitely do use metaphors and similes and kind of con- compare and contrast today's world to their their future futuristic world. It's getting a little bit off track, but I just had the realization that I've never really thought of before. I like how Futurama is neither a dystopia or a utopia. Yeah, I agree. It's it just it, exists. It's it just exists like current day. Which, again, you know, it is 2016, so we're very close to a dystopia, but you never know. I've literally never thought about that before, but that's neat. Yeah, it's just, an, it just even though throughout the, so we're going back to the pilot where he's in the, 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 the pod and aliens come and destroy Earth or New York multiple times. And yet it grows up and it is just kind of incredibly similar to today other than having all these futuristic cars and you know uh, futuristic ships and being able to go faster than light and things like that but people are just still kind of idiots and they keep walking around just doing doing their jobs you gotta do what you gotta do gotta do what you gotta do so it's just it's it's fascinating to me again it's not a dystopia it's not a utopia it's just the same kind of topia we have right now the same kind of topia if that is my catchphrase, then that is my catchphrase. You lost it's, out. It is a better one than, well, I'm already in my pajamas. <laughs> which which makes another comeback on this one. It it sure does. It's still never going to catch on. I think that's the like the very last time they say it. We'll find out okay. in future episodes. Stay tuned, listeners. Anyways, we have been getting off track like crazy, so... <laughs> So the rover breaks down, they get onto the hydroponic farm. And that's actually another good point where Fry is suddenly really intelligent. Because if somebody told me that it was going to get down to negative 173, I would just immediately think Fahrenheit. Sure. I wouldn't I wouldn't ask Fahrenheit or Celsius. That's true, but we're also Americans, so you know. But Fry is an American from the year two thousand. That's true. I also just love the response of first one, then to other. Well, I think that's another moment where it's like Fry's intelligence is flexible to make the, whatever joke needs to be happening work. 
I also apologize for my butchering of t'other. Yeah, thank you. We do also meet the Crushinator here, which... God um, darn it, Crushinator, why won't you jump? No, Pa, I love him. Sorry, I, I can't help myself. I there's, there's just so much to love about the Crushinator, and I think Benner knows that as well. Am I right? Well, a woman like that, you got to romance first. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I think that might have been just for us. That was... Uh, we we did kind of have a moment over the Crushinator right now, mm-hmm. which was a little bit weird. A little bit. After they get chased by the farmer, who I don't think we get a name for. I don't think there's a name, no. Okay. So they, they get farmer. chased... Farmer. Uh, they get chased by Farmer... And they find the Lunar Lander. Mm-hmm. Restored and placed back at the spot by the Historical Stickler Society. Which I love because I feel like they had written this episode and then somebody was like, but the Lander took off. It's how they, they got back. Like It was probably some detail where they noticed at the last minute. And then pedantically, in a world before... TV on DVD, Netflix, an entire internet to sit all night and correct people on everything. They were like, we got to nip this in the bud. Let's just throw this sign in the Lunar Lander. Boom. Problem solved. Right. And I think that's another way that the entire staff was always kind of forward thinking. You know, there will be an internet in five years that people will yell at us about this. Somebody is going to complain about this someday. I, I, I like how we're acting as if there was no internet in 1999 and 2000 when there totally was. It was mostly AOL, but it was there. In 1999, I was using net zero. I'm not saying it was good internet. I didn't have time to complain about inaccuracies in TV shows over the ads that were being shoved in my face just to get 28K BPS. Reasonable point. Plus, I think I was probably mostly just playing StarCraft uh, online with friends was mostly what I used it for. A good, a a much better way to spend internet than yelling at strangers about where the Lunar Lander was. And then we, of course, also get the Lunar Lander line, which the Blackjack and Hookers. Oh, right. Which we've already talked about. We've already talked about that a little bit. Have you come up with a better name for any Lunar Landers uh, with Blackjack and Hookers? No, I think I like... What was it? A Lunar Experience with three X's? I think I like that. It doesn't include the Blackjack, but... Oh, forget the Blackjack. (laughs) Well played. The one thing I did want to bring up when we are hanging out in the Lander is that I really like how they give Fry that moment where he kind of romanticizes what the moon and space means to him and how in 2000 it was this literally unobtainable dream. I think it does a really good job showing this sort of really romanticizing side of Fry that we get more and more as the series goes on. Not just in his ongoing desire for Leela, but just he's he's an idiot, sure. But we get a lot of moments with him where he just kind of wants the world to be this beautiful thing. Sure. And it's kind of something I've really loved about his character in the entirety of the show. And this is the first time I think we really get to see it, you know, because a lot of times he's just kind of the butt of jokes about 
how stupid he is, how he doesn't understand what's going on in the year 3000. But in that moment, he feels like maybe one of the most human characters in the entire series. Sure. I I do think that sometimes that kind of romanticism uh, can lead into uh, nostalgia and over nostalgia as you, as we'll see later on in this, where he kind of like retreats back into who he was in 2000 without realizing how much he's improved or grown in 3000. But I think you're right in that, you know, even to us, right in 2016, it we've got SpaceX and whatever trying to maybe get to the moon or Mars or whatever. But in 3000, it's, it's a solved problem essentially where we have universities and theme parks on these other planets and we're all, and this uh, package company is always going to crazy planets all over the place. So uh, it's easy to to kind of agree with or kind of empathize, sympathize with Fry and how he feels about space travel being this crazy thing. And it it also ties in very, when they're beginning to go there where he asks to do the countdown, 10, 9, we're here. Whereas it, the countdown is to us such an iconic thing about space travel to the people in 3000, it doesn't, they're just there. It, it's faster than light. You just leave and you're there before you know it. Right. It takes them literally two seconds to get from new New York to the moon. Right. Whereas it took, it took the Apollo 11 astronauts three days, I think to get to the moon. Right. So yeah. And you know, pretty, pretty big difference. Yeah. And, and knowing that, you know, in the show they can get to Mars basically negligibly. Whereas right now, if we even attempt it in 2016, it's going to take months to get there even and not even be able to come back. So, right. I mean, there is part of the discussion of technology in 800, 900 years has grown so much, but looking, being able to compare it now kind of lets us, we can compare where we want to be with where we are and kind of reassess where we, how we want to get to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I, I know we're getting super deep and super like into it, but I think, I think there is the undercurrent in Futurama. That's not just let's make fun of pop culture. Let's make fun of what it is now, but like, let's see what we want to get to. And I think this happens with a lot of different uh, science fiction shows and movies is that it romanticizes all these things that we at some point want to do. We want to have lightsabers. We want to be able to go faster than light travel. We want to go to Mars. We want to go to the moon. But right now we're just going to sit on this planet and, you know, have wars with each other because we can't get past that. But when we can get up to the moon or Mars or, go see other stars in different galaxies. Like that's where we want to be as, as a species, as humanity. And I think that's an important thing that the, that is done in media. Well, and I think to that point, kind of going back to what I was saying about Fry is I feel like maybe, and again, this is something I've never really took too much time to to sit down and think about. But I think in that respect, Fry kind of just encapsulates humanity in general. I mean, it's getting it's getting really deep for a 
you know, 16-year-old TV show um, on Fox. On Fox. Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting... I think it's getting pretty deep, but again, like I said, I, I really like Fry's humanity kind of throughout. Um, I've already gone on record saying how much I love kind of the the sadder seasons where we really do feel a lot of that humanity. But I think that's really what make I think that's really what made Futurama so good. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And I I think we have to give credit to the writers that knew that you could make you know a dumb. Sp- space future show if you want and it'll be fine but you can make a deep engrossing somewhat somewhat human character to that dumb space comedy and you'll have people making podcasts of of it 16 years after it started you'll have people wanting to watch more of it wanting to kickstart more of it make make fan write fan fiction about it like i think that is one of the major successes of the people that wrote the show because it's so good and it's so you can read into it as much as you want and i think that is one of the possibly the best legacy of the show not even the show itself but the fact that it it touched people wow we got really deep sometimes sometimes we need to and sometimes we need to talk about horrible gelatinous blob ingesting people. Horrible gelatinous wells. <laughs> and levity. I think that's about all I've got. Yeah, I think so. I think it's probably time to do final judgments on this episode. So like I alluded to sort of at the beginning of this episode, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to straight up give it an A. Okay. I apologize for just crapping all over season one because this is a fantastic episode it's got some of my favorite lines in the whole series it does a great job with all of the characters i mean we just had a five minute discussion on elon musk's plan to go to mars because of a cartoon show (laughs) we did we definitely did do that i i think overall it's fantastic i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's an a I think that's probably a reasonable one. I think there are some rough edges around it. The Again, we're talking the voices aren't quite dialed in. The character, you know, we don't get a lot of Hermes, really. We don't get a lot of some of the other characters. And I really like more Zoidberg. Uh, and that didn't happen, but that's that's just me. I think I think I'm probably in the same, maybe A, maybe, maybe A minus. Uh, it's a very good episode. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email us at backtothefuturamapodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to get in touch with us through the Twitter, uh, we are to the twitter.com. We are at backtofuturama. There's no the in there. So if you've got a good idea for the name of a lunar lander with blackjack and hookers, feel free to tweet that at us. Mm-hmm. At You'll definitely beat me. Yep. <laughs> No offense, but yeah. And with that, I think that's going to do it for us for today. I'm Ben. I'm Mike. Goodbye Goodbye from from the world world of tomorrow. tomorrow.